Well, welcome to Crossroads Church Online. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Chris Amdahl, one of the pastors here, and it's a privilege for me this morning to open up God's Word together with you. Uh, And I just got to say, and maybe this goes without saying, but this has been a big deal for us, this whole disruption. I mean, none of us, when we celebrated New Year's uh, for 2020, realized that uh, what all that 2020 would hold for all of us. I mean, the stay-at-home order, this is a disruption unlike anything any of us have ever experienced, which is why we decided to go ahead and disrupt our sermon series and and go ahead and take a, a few weeks to just talk about what is it that's on our minds right now during this disruption. And so last week, Pastor Matt asked the question, where is God in all of this? Uh, This is a question that probably all of us have asked at some point. And so if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back onto our archives uh, on YouTube and and watch those. But this weekend, we're we're, we're looking at our fear and and specifically asking the question, what is it that I do with my fear? When I was around nine or 10 years old, I played uh, peewee football. And every season, at the end of the season, we would uh, vote, the players would all vote on where we wanted to go and have our, our team banquet. And so, of course, like every good nine and 10-year-old, we voted on going to Casa Bonita. Now, if you're not sure what Casa Bonita is or you've never been there, you really just got to go there and experience it. I can't even really give it justice to explain what it is. Let me warn you, don't go there for the food, but go there for the cliff divers and the games and the mariachi band and the sopapillas and, and everything else that they have there. But uh, so there we were, uh, about 10 years old. Had, we all had our football jerseys on and, you know, we sort of had this rough and tough persona. And before, uh, before we got started with our banquet, a bunch of us went out to kind of roam through the, the caves and the different rooms of Casa Bonita. And sure enough, we were going through one of these caves. And uh, if you've ever been there and seen the gorilla man, the, the guy dressed in a gorilla costume, came running through the cave and cornered us and, and, and kind of screamed at it, like hollered at us, you know. And, and the rest of my team took off running. And there I was alone, stuck in this corner of this cave. And I screamed so loud. I, I, I stood there like a little girl. All that tough guy persona just fell away. And I screamed so loud. I'm sure the entire restaurant heard me. Uh, and, and it was so, so much so that the, the gorilla man took off his gorilla head and was like apologized to me and, and then put it back on and ran away so that he didn't get in trouble uh, by his boss or something like that. And, and, and I, so I sort of slowly made my way out of the cave and back to the banquet kind of shaking and to this day, if I ever go back to Casa Bonita, my heart rate sort of increases when I go through those caves. But have you ever been there where you've been so scared that you just didn't know what to do with it? My guess is that for all of us during this season of disruption that we've all experienced fear on some level, but not only fear, but a, but a whole bunch of other emotions as well. In fact, uh, my guess is that you haven't really had a, t- a chance to stop and, and really take an audit of your heart and mind to really see what you've been feeling and thinking. Perhaps for some of us, we've felt just total shock and disbelief. Like, is this really happening? Uh, this is like what we see in the movies. In fact, if you've seen on Netflix, some of the trending movies these past couple of weeks have been movies like Outbreak and Pandemic or Containment. Like, is this really happening. I feel like I'm in a movie. Or maybe for some of you, you've just felt totally overwhelmed. 
so much information coming at you, uh, changing every hour, not sure, not sure which information is right or which information is outdated or just plain wrong, and you're just sort of overwhelmed. Maybe for some of us, we felt anger, anger at the situation in general, maybe angry at those you feel should have responded differently, or, or maybe angry at those you feel are overreacting or underreacting or whatever it might be. Maybe you've felt uh, an immense amount of sadness. Per- perhaps for some of us, sadness is uh, an emotion that is already part of our story uh, in normal life. And now with the stay-at-home order and isolation, it's just sort of magnified. What have you been feeling over these last couple of weeks? In fact, this week on Monday and Tuesday evenings, uh, we're offering a, a, a one-time only emotional health virtual group online. This is going to be a small group of people, uh, a safe and confidential place for you to to process what's been going on uh, in your heart and mind through all of this. And so, again, these are one-time events. If you'd like to sign up for them, you can go to CrossroadsABC.com, click on Join a Virtual Life Group, and there you can search for the Emotional Health virtual groups, either Monday night or Tuesday night, limited space. Sign up if you would like to join us for those. But you know, as we think about these emotions that we've been feeling, um, they're all a response to crisis. This is just how, these are all normal responses to how we experience crisis. In fact, um, one of my favorite authors and speakers, Henry Cloud, he explains it this way, that, that when you experience crisis, it's, it's like you have a mind map, all right? So, so for instance, um, you have a mind map in your head about where your refrigerator is in your house. So in the middle of the night, if you get hungry and it's dark, uh, you could probably walk your way through your house and through the kitchen and to the refrigerator without having to turn on a light. Uh, for, for the most part, that's probably true for most of us uh, because you have a mind map. What happens in a crisis is someone has taken a, the couch and they moved it over and put it right in the middle of your path to the refrigerator. And so in that instance, you'd be walking through the darkness and you would come across this couch and your mind would register an error and go, "Uh, this isn't where it's supposed to be. And uh, in that situation, there's a pretty quick fix because you'd realize, oh, someone moved the couch. I can either walk around or I can turn on a light switch and, and find a new path. The problem is for us in this crisis is that everything in our mind is registering as an error. However, we don't have any quick fixes. There's no quick fixes to this. And so as a result, we experience disruption, disruption of all of our connectedness with people. We, we, it's been so hard for me not to shake hands or, or hug or, or just get together with friends. Uh, we have a disruption in our structure that there's nothing routine anymore, that, that everything is all shaken up. And we even have a disruption in our control of things, that we can't make the same decisions that we were able to make just a few weeks ago. Like you can't decide to go bowling with your family or go to your favorite restaurant or whatever it might be. We have a disruption of all of these things, all these errors in our mind. And so as a result, we can easily get stuck in a cycle of fear, whether it's fear of getting the virus or, or how others might react to the situation or, or fear of losing your job or fear of what the future holds or fear of f- uh, economic and financial difficulties. And we can easily just become overwhelmed, shaken and anxious by all of this. I know I've experienced fear over these last couple of weeks. 
Now, I'm not really a super control freak. I wouldn't call myself a control freak. However, at the same time, I, I like to have my routine. I don't like things to be shaken up. I don't like to rock the boat too much. I, I like to, to just have things be normal. Uh, and, and so when, I, when there's abrupt change or urgency or whatever it is, I, I don't respond well to that. It just disrupts my, my, my feeling of peace when things don't go as planned. And so what happens is I spend all of my time and energy trying to, to, to bring back a sense of normal, and it just sort of drains me. And, and if I think about it, and, and, and when I challenge myself over these last couple of weeks to, to, to name my fear, what it is is I have a fear of the unknown, a fear of the unknown. And I ask questions like this, what if things get way worse before they get better? Or what if some things don't ever get better? You know, as kids, we've all experienced the fear of the unknown. When you're afraid of the dark, it's, it's not that the darkness we're afraid of, it's we're afraid of the unknown that's in the darkness. And so today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at that question, what is it that I do with my fear? There's a story in the book of John and uh, in John chapter 13 and 14, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, you can download one. Version is a great app, a free Bible app that's super helpful and very easy to use. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is the fourth gospel in the New Testament, the story of Jesus' life. And so we're going to be in John chapter 13 and 14. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to paraphrase the majority of this story for the sake of time. But I'd really encourage you to go back and to, to read these two chapters uh, in their entirety. And so this story starts um, here in John 13. And up until this point, Jesus and his disciples have just had this amazing run at ministry. I mean, their lives have just been awesome. They've had so many incredible things over the course of these three years where they've worked together and traveled together and ministered together. And they, they've seen miracles and just incredible acts of God. And so things were just sort of at their peak. Things were going well. Things were, were as they should be. And, and everybody was loving it. And so what they do is they sit down to celebrate the Passover meal. Now, in, 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 in Hebrew tradition, in Jewish tradition, the Passover meal was something that they celebrated every year. And what it was was a, a, a celebration and remembrance of the Passover that took place when Israel was enslaved in Egypt. And the Passover happened, and then automatically, the, uh, right after that, the, the Israelites were released from, from Egypt. And do you remember the story? They wandered and they ended up at the Red Sea and, and God split the Red Sea for them to walk through just this incredible story of deliverance. And so every year, uh, the Jews would get together and celebrate the Passover meal. So again, the, the, the disciples were, were expecting just this incredible night of celebrating and worshiping and remembering all of God's provision together. But Jesus was about to drop a couple of bombs in their laps and disrupt everything that they knew. The first one was this. They're sitting down together, and he explains that one of them, one of the 12, one of their best buds, was going to leave the table to betray him. He was going to go turn him in. 
And so automatically, all the disciples started asking the question, well, who's it going to be? And, and wh- what's happening? And so Jesus says, it's, it's, it's the one who I'm going to give this bread to after I dip in. And so right away, he dips the bread and he hands the bread to Judas, Judas the betrayer. And in John 13, 30, it says this. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. Now, when we read that last line, and it was night, at first glance, that, that phrase sort of doesn't really seem too important. Like John's just telling us uh, this idea of, of the time of day. But, but here's the thing is that for John's readers, everybody knew that it was already nighttime. That was when you celebrated the, the feast of Passover. And so what does he mean when he says it was night? I think what he's doing is he's describing the fear that we're talking about. He's describing the unknown, this incredible amount of darkness that now surrounded Jesus and his disciples. He gave the bread to Judas. He left and it was night and fear fear of the unknown began to seep into the disciples. The second disruption that Jesus brings to them that night is he says, by the way, I'm leaving. I'm leaving you and you can't come with me. And so automatically Peter pushes back and says, whoa, Jesus, no, 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 you can't leave. In fact, wherever you go, I'm going to go too, no, no matter where that is, even if it means that I have to die. And Jesus looks back at him and says, actually, before the morning comes, Peter, you are going to deny that you even know me. And so realizing that Jesus has just disrupted everything for them, Realizing the fear that they're experiencing that Jesus just moved the couch and put it in their path on their way to the refrigerator. He looks back at them in John chapter 14, verse 1, and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. He goes on from there to tell them that The reason he's leaving is to prepare a place for them and that at one point he's going to come back and take them to be with him. Ultimately, what this means is that in order for him to leave, he's going to suffer and die. And I can just imagine the disciples for a moment going, okay, wait a second, Jesus, now you have totally gone too far. Jesus, you're talking nonsense. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. You're the Messiah. You're supposed to be here, and you are supposed to bring salvation to us and our people. You can't leave us, Jesus. What in the world are you talking about? You have to be here. Remember what happens when you're not around. Bad things happen, Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 25, He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then he says these words. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid. And again, I can just sort of imagine Peter's hair catching on fire and smoke flowing flowing out of his ears going, peace? What do you mean peace? This isn't peaceful. 
What are you talking about? Two of your best buds are, are, are betraying you and denying you, and, and you're leaving us. You're going to suffer and die. We're your followers, so that probably means we're going to be persecuted and maybe suffer and die as well. What do you mean you're leaving us with peace? You see, the disciples were thinking about peace the way that we think about peace most of the time. They were thinking about the Latin understanding of peace, which is uh, that don't rock the boat, leave everything in its place. Let's just get some quiet and tranquility and rest. Let's hang up a hammock between two palm trees. That's the kind of peace that we think of, that we really enjoy. But that's the Latin understanding of peace. And that comes from the Latin word pax. Pax, which means freedom from disturbance, tension, It also means quietness and tranquility. You see, the peace that Jesus was talking about wasn't Pax. He even says, I'm not giving you peace as the world gives, but a different kind of peace. Instead, the peace that Jesus is talking about is the Hebrew understanding of peace. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And shalom means something different. It means wholeness, completeness, flourishing in a deep, deep sense of well-being. This is the peace that Jesus was talking about to his disciples, a powerful word. And what Shalom describes is God's original idea for all creation. This is the way everything was supposed to be. So when Jesus says, peace, I leave with you, it wasn't the tranquil sense of hanging, hanging up a hammock between two palm trees. It was much, much richer and deeper than that. He was saying to his disciples, look, I know you're scared. I know things are not fun right now. Uh, It's unknown. It's dark. It's a crisis. So many questions are running through your mind. I get it. And he says to them and he says to you and I who are scared, what I have to offer you, though, is a peace unlike anything you've ever experienced. My shalom I'm giving to you. It's a peace that blows your idea of peace out of the water. A peace that once you see it and once you experience it, it doesn't matter what's happening around you because this peace is is bigger, it's deeper. It's bigger than any circumstance or any uncertainty that you might face. It's brightness in the darkness and it's known in the unknown. This peace is a peace that is unending and unshakable. Doesn't that peace sound amazing? That's the kind of peace that, that I want. I want a peace that, that doesn't matter what I'm facing, that, that it's always, always with me. And so back to our original question, what is it that I do with my fear? Let me just preface my answer by saying that it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be afraid. We don't need to pretend that we're not afraid. What's most important, though, is how we respond to our fear. That your fear is pointing in a direction. It's, it's a signal that there's something wrong. So there's nothing wrong with being afraid. It's how we respond to that signal. You see, fear is a great, great motivator. And we can let it motivate us to panic or to presence. We can let fear motivate us to panic or to presence. Now, here's what I mean. If we let fear motivate us to panic, then what we would do is just continue to focus on all the troubled waters around us. 
We'd continue to just sit and dwell and fret about the unknown. We'd, consider, we'd continue to just look into the darkness and, and wonder what's there. We'd, consider, we'd continue to watch the, the stock market decline. We'd, we'd leave the news channels on 24-7. We'd, we'd dream about the good old days, and we would just allow our fear to motivate us to, to, to panic and to, to freak out and to, to run to the store and buy everything we can and, and all that sort of stuff. Or... We can let fear motivate us to presence. Now, here's what I mean by that. You know, one of my favorite things uh, of being a dad is, especially when my kids were, were younger, a little bit younger, is whenever we'd go somewhere, uh, whether it's a park or the mall or a store or, or whatever it might be, and, and there's something that's unsettling for them. Uh, maybe a scary dog that's loose in the park or, or just something, whatever it might be that makes them uncomfortable, that makes them afraid. And the next thing I feel is this like something squeezing tightly around my leg. You know that? Or they grab my hand and they, they sort of bring it up around their head and hold it close to their chests. Why do they do that? It's because their fear motivated them to my presence you see, their, 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 the presence of, of dad was, was bigger than the, the circumstance that they were facing. And so when we let our fear motivate us into the presence of God, we, we, we run into the presence of the one who can offer shalom, the one who can calm our fears, to, to run into the arms of the one who's already overcome this world, who's already made a way. We can let our fear motivate us to panic or to presence. And I just got to think that, man, Jesus is up to something big. He's up to something big right now. You know, this was no surprise to him. For us, this was a total surprise, a total shock. Had no idea this was happening. But for us, this is not a disruption for him. This is not a couch in the middle of his path to the refrigerator, and he is up to good things. This is what we see all throughout history. When we've had epidemics or plagues that have swept through the world, people who operated with the mindset of packs and had the, the high value of stringing up their hammock between two palm trees, what did they do in the middle of plagues? They ran. They ran for their lives because they were, they were uh, afraid and their, their fear motivated them to, to, to self-preserve, to panic, and to, to run away. But the people who understood and valued shalom, those are the people that stuck around and cared for the sick. Not because they weren't afraid, but because they had a deep sense of peace that wasn't shaken and as a result, God was up to something big. So the church exploded in growth. Why? Because people saw the love of Jesus through those who were experiencing the shalom of God. Jesus is up to something big. And you know, this is the kind of peace that the disciples had for the rest of their lives. You know, they didn't really experience any more packs. They experienced trouble and suffering and hardship, and ultimately death, but they had God's shalom the whole time. So though times may be difficult, you can have that peace, that shalom 
right now. That peace of God that transcends everything, that guards your hearts, that surpasses your understanding. How do we get it? How do we get his shalom? Well, the answer is that we trust. We trust. We put our trust in Jesus instead of ourselves, in Jesus instead of our tranquility, in Jesus for for what he left his disciples to go and do, which was to ultimately suffer and die on the cross so that we could have a way back to God, which is the ultimate shalom. We trust in him and we put our hope in him because the world continues to let us down. We trust in Jesus and we can experience his shalom. Did you know that Jesus loves you? He loves you right where you're at. And it's not this sort of passive love or, or toleration of you, but that he, he's passionately in love with you, that he's been thinking about you today. He loves you. So would you allow this crazy disruption in our lives push you, motivate you to turn to, to him? For some of us today, that's turning to him again, turning to him again and reminding ourselves, yes, he is my hope and he is my trust and he is, is my peace for others of us. Maybe this means that we're turning to him for the first time. And if that's you, my guess is that there's some questions around what does that mean? What does that mean to put our trust in him? What does that mean for me to, to, to follow him, to turn to him? Well, if you click on the button that says make a prayer request, we have a whole team of people who are ready to, to talk with you, to chat with you, and to, to pray with you, to, to help you understand what that might look like to put your trust in Jesus. Did you catch what Jesus said in verse 26? He said, The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to remembrance. This idea of remembrance. It's a powerful powerful word that we see all throughout scripture. We're constantly told to go back and remember. Why? Because we forget. And when we stop and remember, we we see this pattern all throughout scripture that goes crisis and then God works and then there's deliverance. There's a crisis and then God works and then there's deliverance. And and whether that's his deliverance of Israel from Egypt or deliverance through the Red Sea or or even when he worked and fed the 5,000 people with just a few uh, loaves of bread and a few fish. And my guess is that not only in Scripture can we see that process, but we can see that pattern in our own lives. We can look back and remember how God has provided for you in your past, how he's orchestrated things, that, that he is, he's come through in impossible situations. Remember, stop and remember God's faithfulness, and he will bring you through this. Because, you know, at some point in the future, from now, maybe a few months from now, maybe a few years, or maybe even a few decades from now, you will look back on this season that we're in right now, and you'll think, man, I saw how God brought me through that. That this season will be one of those remembrances for you in the future. And so trust in that God now. Trust in that God now. That God who delivered you from this now. Trust in Him. One thing that I do in order to remember is I just spend a lot of time in the Psalms. In fact, I would encourage you during this season of stay at home and, and all of that to, to, to find time to, to dig into the book 
of Psalms. And one that I've been going to a lot lately is Psalm chapter 46. And it says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. He makes the wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bows and he shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And then it says this, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Jesus, I come to you today and I thank you that you are our fortress. Thank you for the work that you've done on the cross, suffering and dying and then raising back to life in three days so that we could come back to you, that we can come to the Father. And in doing so, we can experience this deep sense of well-being. We can experience your shalom no matter what happens to us. So God, I pray today for those who need to remember that. God, would you draw them to yourself with your kindness and your goodness. And for those who may be turning to you today for the first time, God, would you meet them there? We confess to you our need for you and we trust you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the peace that surpasses our understanding and our circumstances. And we love you. And it's in Jesus' good and powerful name we pray these things. Amen.